Just two good old boys. Two good old boys. Never meaning no harm. Be sorry, never saw the hand, no hair since the day they was born. Straighten the curves. Straighten the curves. Flatten the heels. The coffee might get them, but the Lord never will. We're casting away the only way they know how. Yeah. With a little more mojo than the Lord allow. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Welcome to the show that's designed to help you get your mojo working in and out of work. If you're a first timer to the show, what can you expect? Well, here's what we do. We find interesting people from all parts of the world, just like today. We talk to them about their world and what they do to get their mojo working in some aspect of their world. Now, it could be sport or business, social enterprise, uh, technology, wellness, psychology, science, whatever. We like to chat, we ask them questions, and we try to extract stuff that you and I can use in our everyday life to help us get our mojo working and or stuff that we can use to share with a friend to get their mojo working. So thanks for checking in on a little shindig if you haven't got on to iTunes yet and subscribed, do it, do it now, because then you won't miss the gold. As always, behind the panel, Chief Engineer driving the big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show. Robbo, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, man. How are you? I'm well. Now, just a check-in uh, yep. here in Australia, getting ready for the autumn winter footy season. How are Indeed. the boys looking, the young fellas? Boys are shaping up well. We've got a couple of new boys on board this year, so we are trying to involve them in the fold. Uh, as you're aware, kids don't always so that easily together mm, so mm. getting them to um to click as a team before the season starts when you've got a couple of new players is always a priority so we're doing lots of fun stuff lots of games and fitness and stuff to try and get them working together good stuff uh let's check in with ap in the booth he's not doing That's any you. exercise <laughs> where is he he might be in the kitchen is he making us a fish of a roast is he making us a brew oh hang on yeah i can hear the espresso machine going he's out there somewhere <laughs> All right, they say never work with kids, pets, or voiceover talent. So <laughs> let's roll into the show. The Mojo Radio Show. Our guest this week is Eddie Lemoy. Now, Eddie is one of Canada's most sought after experts on performance in the corporate world. He's Canadian born. Let's not hold that against him. He's a best selling author. He speaks all over the world and he specializes in leadership. What they call employee engagement and the psychology of success. I met Eddie in San Diego not long ago. 
We were there doing a speaking gig together for our friends at Vistage, which is a worldwide group of CEOs. There was a big crowd. We met during rehearsals and backstage. I hit him up and said, mate, how about coming on the show? And he said, I'd love to. So thankfully, Eddie was good to his word. He's right here now. Eddie, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thank you. My pleasure. Now, when people meet you, Eddie, and they ask you what you do, how do you like to reply? Well, I I like to think that I help change people's lives. So there's kind of two areas that I play around in quite a bit. And one is in that pure leadership space. And then the other is in the personal development. And I try and marry the two. So I like to, to say I help people change their lives both at work and in their personal life. With your experience of doing it, it's an interesting thought. It's almost like a mission for you. With the experience oh, it, it, you've got and the people you work with, Eddie, what's the most important thing that you have found? What's the starting point? to change someone's life? Because it's, it's, it's a bold mission. Well, I, you know, I think that, and I, know, and I know in my own personal life as well, that when a person understands what their true strengths are, that's when you can start kind of living your life on purpose. And I think back to a time in my own life where I remember specifically walking through a shopping mall in Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the East Coast of Canada. I'm a senior executive in a big aerospace company. And I was doing this self-talk as I was walking to the mall, and I said, you know, Eddie, you have everything. Lots of money, uh, houses, cars, exotic vacations. Why are you so darn unhappy? And what happened was I got really good at doing things I hated doing every day. And I think when you can really change your life is when you can do things you truly enjoy doing every day but have that real positive impact on your career and people around you as well. I think that's gold out of the gates. It's, it's Canadian gold right there. Because <laughs> it's maple gold. Be a good name for a beer, wouldn't it? Canadian gold. Um, we'll call it Eddie's Canadian gold. Out of the blocks, yeah. he's come out with a, with a new beer. We're on to something here. But you have that's to right. store it at minus 50. Yes. <laughs> you're going yeah, to drink it very, right. very cold, right, Eddie? Beersicles. Yeah, well, you, you can actually take boiling water and throw it in the air and it freezes in the air. Oh, what? Seriously? That's ridiculous. We did it over the Christmas holidays with my my daughter and her friends. We'd get on the back deck and we'd take measuring cups full of water and we'd throw them in the air. And as they would get in the air, they would freeze and come down as as a cloud. It was really quite, quite fun to watch. Wow. And for, for our listeners, the reason we are talking about this, but prior to starting to record, Eddie was saying that it's winter in Canada right now. Where he is, it's around minus 20, but it has gotten down to minus 50, which is yes. just insane. <laughs> I, uh, I was speaking to a good friend of the show uh, just the other day who comes from Canada. She plays uh, She plays rugby union for the Canadian women's rugby team, and she was playing rugby the other day. And what did she say? So she said it was like minus fifteen or something like that. She was like playing rugby. Barmy. So um, yeah, Barmy minus Barmy. fifteen playing rugby. I bet those that's hits that, didn't hurt much. That's the weather for short pants. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, now, dear. Eddie, I, I want to take you back to that story. You're walking through the mall, and it's funny. I think this is an interesting area for people from the outside. I suspect people went, Eddie's got it all. Yes. The cars, the holidays, the family, seems good gig, money. But inside, you're dying. Inside, you're unfulfilled. And you had that conversation with yourself. Talk me through 
what someone does then? How do they move beyond that? Because there are people who are in that zone where on the outside looks good, inside not so good. That's right. They want to be in your place now. What's the questions that we need to challenge ourselves with to start to move in that place, Eddie? Well, you know, it's interesting. People find themselves in that position for two almost completely different reasons. I found myself in that position because I was handcuffed by the income I was earning. So to think about leaving a, you know, a high-paying career and moving into something I'm passionate about was hard. And then you get people that are that just can't find the thing they want to do, you know? So they're, so they're doing something they dislike almost because it's become part of a habit. So for me, what I, what I really had to sit down and think about, and most of your listeners will be the same way is when you go to work every day or whatever it is you do, whether you're self-employed or you go to work every day, you have to ask yourself at the end of the day, did I do anything today that I really felt good about? Or did I do anything today that made me feel strong or made me feel empowered or made me feel purposeful? And at the end of the day, if you didn't do anything that day that made you feel any of those things, then you're probably not doing the right things. So in my particular case, I could go back, you know, weeks and think of all the things I was doing at work and none of them were really making a difference in anyone's life and none of them were making me feel any better. So what I learned was that when I align my strengths with what I'm trying to achieve or with my goals, that's when all the magic started to happen. That's when my career changed. It's when I started to have an impact on other people. And and I see it in my clients and friends as well when they start to really realize what their strengths are. And I think we all have a unique purpose that we're put here for. And once you identify that and you align that with with your goals, that's when all the magic starts to happen. It's hard for people, isn't it, Eddie? I mean, that the way you put it there, they're handcuffed by the income and they're handcuffed by all the things that that income brings, as in stuff. And That's right. The, and, and also, I think in a lot of cases, what that income brings and that job brings and that wage brings is people, it, it gives them their identity and the people they mix with acknowledge them for that and that is their measure of success it's a hard thing, though, isn't it, to move beyond that to say, I'm going to let go of all that. And I've been there. I mean, I, I absolutely I haven't thought about it for quite a while, but I absolutely agree with you. It, it's, you must find a bit of a challenge with those you work with to let go of, get, undo those handcuffs to move into something yes. that they love. But once they do that, is very fulfilling, isn't it? Yes, and, and here's the interesting part is I, I moved through corporate ranks really fast. I was just one of those people. If I put my mind to something, I could do it. So like many people, I was chasing what I thought was success, but in reality, I was chasing the symbols of success, a promotion, a shiny car, a new boat or something. You know, there's always a symbol that I was chasing. So when I decide that I'm going to, you know, start my own business and and try and truly make a change in people's lives. Eventually, the income actually came along anyway. It didn't follow, but I I wasn't chasing the symbols of success anymore. And it's really interesting how that works because lots of times we think, well, we can't do something different because we're going to lose everything we have. But in reality, most of the time, we actually gain more in the long run. That measuring success is an interesting point. Eddie, because I, I hear people talk about building a culture and 
everybody has all these lovely statements and all these philosophies the business lives by, which are great on the sunny days. But as soon as it turns dark and stormy and windy and minus 50, then suddenly everyone, all that goes out the door and it goes straight back to revenue and it's figures and it's cutting heads and it's profits and it's margins and the dollars coming in the door and culture falls apart. And I figure it's almost the same thing with people that is it the case when you're working with people that one of the first questions is how do you measure success in your world? Because if you measured it by those dollars and what the dollars bring, then you're handcuffed. Is it moving beyond that then, Eddie, to say, well, is there a different way we should measure success of our lives? You know, it's interesting. I really don't believe there's anything wrong with measuring success from a financial perspective. You know, that, that that can be something we can look at and say, well, I'm successful if I hit this financial. But that's only part of success. You know, I always feel that success has to be, you know, am I healthy and active and to be able to enjoy the things that I have in my life? Do I have good friends? You know, am I socially active? Like there's there's ways of measuring success more than just on the financial side. But there's nothing wrong with the financial success. And I believe people should have that. But I, what happened with me was I that was where I'm, that's where I measured myself was just on the financial success. I had all the, you know, even when I looked at the other stuff, I thought, you know, I, like you had said, people looking at me would say, well, you know, you're always laughing and carrying on. You have a great wife and kids and you look successful on the outside. But I just, I didn't feel it on the inside, which was really quite interesting when I think back. Robbo, Eddie and I met in San Diego not long ago. We were doing a job over there for a company called Vistage, which is a worldwide or a global organization of CEOs and chairmen who get together to discuss senior level issues and learn from each other. Hmm. And Eddie is a very highly acclaimed and award-winning Canadian speaker for Vistage. Eddie, with the work you're doing in the corporate workplace, what are your observations now? How, how are you seeing the business leader, the business environment now for leadership and people you know, that's an interesting question. And you actually kind of hit the nail a little bit on the head when you said, um, you know, when everything's going good, it's great to be able to create a culture in, in an organization. But when things start to fall off the rails or when revenue starts to drop, then um, we, we approach things differently. So my area of expertise around leadership is really around how do we engage employees. So when when you look at engagement in the workplace and Engaged employees are more profitable, they're more productive, they, they have a better home life balance. So leadership today is really about leveraging the strengths of the individuals and aligning the strengths with what you're trying to achieve in your organization. And something magic happens, and in the world of, of employee engagement, we call it discretionary effort. So discretionary effort is when the things people do at work make a difference. So you can go to work and work really hard all day. And at the end of the day, the work you do really isn't making a difference in your own personal life, or it may not be aligning with the goals of the company. But if you engage people, then you're aligning their strengths with what you're trying to achieve. So, so I think you know, true leadership now is really how do we coach people to be able to, to leverage the individual strengths. And, and I tell you, it's a really interesting environment right now. You know, five generations in the workplace, a very diverse workplace um, from a cultural perspective and, a, and the gender difference. So, I mean, it's, it's very different leading 
in 2018 than it was in 2000. You know, it's a very, very different environment now. I'm sure you're finding the same thing yourself. Yeah, it, I, I like that idea. My question is, how do you help somebody find those true strengths and or how does a parent help their child find their true strengths? Well, you know that when you say sometimes you have to have a conversation with people to point out their strengths, in reality, the only way you're ever really going to know someone's strengths is if you sit down and talk to them and you ask the question, at the, at the end of the day, if you, did, if you went home today after work and you look back at your day and, and you could identify something you did at work today that made you feel really good, made you feel powerful, you know those times when you're in the zone, when, when you, know, you look at the clock and you go, oh my goodness, it's five o'clock, it's time to go home, where did the day go? Well, those are the days that you're doing strengths. But here's where it gets really confusing. Lots of times, people are really good at things but they're not their strengths. And I'll give you an example of my own personal life. I'm, and I'm actually doing it today before the call. I'm very proficient at spreadsheets, drop-down, um, pivot tables, all of those things, because running public companies, I had to do that. But to be totally truthful, I'd rather poke a pencil in my eye than do a spreadsheet. So, <laughs> so, so people might look at me and say, you're really good at spreadsheets, but that's really not my strength. I'm just good at it. So lots of times leaders look at employees and they say, well, you're really good at this, so this is your strength. But in reality, the employee is like, oh, my, I, I wish I could be doing this other thing that I really want to be doing. So that's one part. You also ask, how do you do it in your family? And I have a great example in my own family. Um, my, my son struggled in school. I mean, really, really struggled in school. And, and we, we didn't know what to do to get him to, to, to really, you know, how is he, he going to pass? How is he going to, you know, find his way in the world? So, so I was sitting down one day and I thought to myself, I do this with executives all the time. Why don't I sit down and ask my son the same question? So my son's name is Jason. And I sat down with Jason. I said, Jason, if you could do anything for the rest of your life, what would you want to do? At the time, he would, he would have been in grade eight. He's a young adult now. And, and he said, Dad, he said, I, it would be music. And I said, well, if I could give you anything, what would you want? And he said, you know, well, a new guitar and, you know, some music. It was simple stuff. So I said, well, what, how, do we, how do I integrate music into his life to allow him to leverage that strength? So we worked with the schools to create a curriculum that allowed him to, you know, if they were doing history, he'd research the genre of music. And uh, um, it, when he would do homework, we'd say, Jay, play the guitar and then do homework and play the guitar. And what happens is the emotions of the music would spill into the, uh, the task in the middle that he didn't like doing. And he was struggling to make a 30 out of 100. And, you know, over time, he went from 30s to 40s to 50s to 60s, 70s, and went to post-secondary school studying music and recording arts, and now is in a band that's been nominated for awards in Canada. He works with musicians all over the country. He, he collaborates with, with musicians all over the world. And he's very intelligent. But the music, leveraging that strength, changed his whole life. In every area, in math, and history, and it just allowed him to be more successful because he got to do some things that he enjoyed doing every day, and that helps spill into the things that he struggled with. That is a, that is such a great story, Eddie. That is so profound. What a what an uncovery, and what a difference it's made to to Jason. It absolutely changed his life. 
And it's funny because, and this is really touching, but, you know, this would have been grade eight. I remember he had graduated from high school, but second year into his post-secondary college program. So in Canada, there's college and there's university. And and uh, we were walking down the street, and he looked at me. He said, Dad, he said, I might, I might go to university and become a teacher. And I looked at him. I said, Jay, I said, that's interesting. He said, you know what I've discovered? He said, I've discovered I'm just as smart as anyone else. So, you know, there was a, a, a young boy who was struggling, who's a young man now believes he's as smart as anyone else. So, and that was leveraging his strengths. That's a, uh, there's a lot of gold in that, Eddie. That's, uh, that's a very, very powerful story, not just for parents, but even for, for people who are responsible for a team at work. The same thing applies at work. If you, if you can identify what those strengths are, that's where the magic happens. Like that's where, that's where productivity exceeds the amount of money you're paying someone. That, that's when, when it really starts to come together. Somebody said of you on your website that Eddie moves people towards brilliance and the results are immediate. Give me the first step, Eddie, on that journey to move from where someone is to realizing their brilliance. What's the first step in that journey? I think there's a few things that we have to do. One is we have to identify what our goals are. And I always say there's kind of two ways that we can identify our goals. One way is that, you know, come January, people sit down and they, and they do the, their New Year's resolutions. And there's the obvious ones. I want to weigh this amount of weight. I'm looking for the perfect person in my life. I want to hit this number at work. I want to buy a new home. But then it's how do we discover the areas of our life that we want to make changes that are not as obvious to us. And that's where listening to our emotions become very valuable. So when you feel fear, anxiety, and stress in your life, if you stop for a second and ask yourself, what's causing this fear, anxiety, and stress? So if you got out of the shower this morning, looked at yourself in the mirror, and you felt fear, anxiety, and stress, what it's telling you is, you know, not that you want to lose weight. It's telling you that you want to be healthy. So you, we use our negative thoughts to identify the areas of our life that we want to make changes. So once a person has identified what their changes are, what I always do, I get people to write them down, and, and I call it a dream sheet, but you know, you can call it whatever you like. It's a list of the goals, bucket list, whatever it may be. And then I think what's really important is you have to align those goals with a thought pattern. So here's what I've discovered. When we're happy, passionate, and excited, so when we're leveraging our strengths or when we're on purpose at work, we tend to be happy, passionate, excited. Uh, we function completely different as a human being. Our brain functions different. Our body secretes serotonin instead of cortisol. We digest our food better. We're more creative. We have better conversations. So if we can align our goals with our positive thoughts, uh, we tend to bring our goals into our life. And I wrote a book called Bring About What You Think About It, and it's basically the, the, you know, what's, that's the, what's behind the book. But And you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, at work when um, when things aren't going well and we start riding people harder and so on. Well, when we create fear, anxiety, and stress in our life, the brain actually functions different. It, it functions at a lower frequency than when we're happy, passionate, excited. The body secretes cortisol, which is a fight-or-flight hormone. At that point, the body's not concerned with whether you hit your number or digest your food. It's concerned more with survival, and we tend to push our goals away. So, so the key that I always find with people is first you got to get them to identify their goals, and then you got to get them to align their their emotions or thought patterns with those goals. And that's when 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 we really start to achieve things. And there's a few little tricks I do with people to help them kind of move in that direction. You just mentioned stress. 
Give me an idea of how you personally or the people that you coach, how do you manage or reduce stress levels? So I have a whole program. I work with people on reducing stress, but there's a few kind of interesting things ar- around stress. And, and I'm going to get this name wrong. I think it's uh, Mary McConnell. She's an author out of the US. And they've done studies on this. So when we feel... Um, it, it, they went on, they looked, I think it was 35,000 people. They, they asked them a, a series of questions. And the first question was, do you feel more stressed now than normal? And the second question is, do you feel that stress is harmful? Well, it didn't come as any surprise. People felt they had more stress than normal, had a higher mortality rate. But people who said they had more stress than normal but didn't feel stress was harmful to them, actually had a lower mortality rate than people who felt they had no stress at all. So part of dealing with stress is, is, the, is to start to realize that stress isn't necessarily the culprit as much as our, our, our interpretation of stress. So when we feel stress is harmful, the arteries around the hearts will contract and, and plaque builds up, and that's when all of the dangerous things happen. But studies have shown that, that if we don't feel it's harmful – the arteries around the heart actually expand. So, so that's part of it is, is getting your headset mindset around, you know, uh, whether it's harmful or not to the body. The other is to kind of look at the types of stress. So, so for example, if there are types of stress that are very good for us, like, um, you know, I have a deadline, so I work really hard to get it done, or I have company coming on the weekend, I want to clean up the house. But when stress gets to a point where we can't, handle the amount of things that come our way, that's when stress becomes quite destructive for us. So there's a few little interesting things you can do. And one is lots of times when we're stressed, we tend to withdraw from people, especially the people we love the most. And what you really want to do is when you're under stress is to reach out to people, especially the people you love the most. And there's a there's a, a, a function in the brain, it's, um, it's called a cuddle hormone, it's an oxytocin gland, I believe it's called. So when, we, when we're under stress and we reach out to people, and the reason why they call it the cuddle hormone is when you actually hug people, the, the brain secretes this, this um, uh, uh, gland, and it actually goes to work to heal the heart, and it actually makes you feel better. So... Stress is always going to be part of it, but you know, it's coming up with these little tricks to be able to help us. You know, first, not believe stress is is harmful, and then the the other is to come up with ways of of mitigating stress in our life. And I do things like exercise, proper diet, the proper sleep. Like, there's a whole list of things I go through with our clients to get them to reduce their level of stress. Can a leader help reduce the stress levels in a team, Eddie? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you, you know, there's um. There's a kind of a series of, of uh, uh, steps you can go through with your own. And I guess, you know, here's the bottom line. When your employees are, are stressed out or overworked or fearful of hitting their numbers, they are actually not as productive. So we become unengaged at work when we're under too much stress. So and even at, at you, know, you know, here we are now watching the Olympics, um, you know, the the world's best athletes don't work better under stress than when they're not stressed. They work better under stress than their competitors. And that's what allows them to win. But our, we truly ex- succeed when we're not stressed. So 
So I believe it's a leader's role to try and reduce the stress of people around you. If you truly want to get productivity out of people, you want them to be happy, passionate, excited. That's when the most functionality comes out of a person as opposed to being fear, anxiety, and stress. Are you a believer in gratitude, Eddie? I mean, as, as part of this process to reducing stress, are you, are you a believer that gratitude has a place to play? Yeah, and, I, and I, actually there's two things that I, tr- I really believe in. One is giving, and I believe that you want to give in the areas of your life that you lack the most. And that's the kind of hard thing for people to do. And the, and the reason why, and if you really think of it from a pure common sense perspective, if say you're really healthy, you're probably giving your body the food it needs, you're giving it the exercise, you're giving it all of the things that it, that it needs. Um, if you look at any area of your life where you're successful, you're giving it. If you look at the areas of your life where you're not as successful, you're probably not giving as much in that area. So if it's finance, if you struggle financially, then figure ways of giving financially, and that can be giving a better tip at a restaurant or or handing you know somebody on the road that needs some money, some some money, or volunteer your time. So I believe giving is a very very power, and that moves us up that scale to make us more happy, passionate, excited. And then the other thing, and the reason why I believe gratitude is so powerful is. Next to love, gratitude is the most powerful emotion the human spirit has. So if you focus your attention on gratitude, you tend to bring more things to be grateful for into your life. So I have a little thing that I do. I, before I go to bed every night, I always think of things that I did in the day that make me feel grateful. And the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, before I even put my feet on the floor, is I say, uh, you know, what am I grateful for today? And then I, you know, I carry a pen in my pocket, and every time I touch the pen, I try and think of something to be grateful for. So, and and what's really good about that is those days when you really feel knocked down. If you focus your attention on gratitude, it'll help pick you back up again because you'll realize there are so many things in your life you can be actually very grateful for. I like the idea of having a trigger like touching a pen to make you think about what you're grateful for. Say you are doing a big presentation or you've got a sales pitch or there's something that requires you to bring yourself to the moment. What what do you go through, Eddie? So you personally, how do you bring yourself to this exact moment to be your best? Well, I have a ritual I do before, and it's funny because you and I were backstage at a very big venue to the, the speak to an audience in San Diego, but um, we all had a ritual. You you paced back and forth behind the screen. <laughs> I, I, I went out to the side. Uh, the, uh, the other lady that was there sat by herself. We all had our, our uh, but I say something to myself before I walk on stage. Every time, doesn't matter if it's six people or 600 or 6,000, I always say to myself, Eddie, let's change a life today. And it's, a, it's something I started doing, you know, probably back in 2005. And, and, and I'll say it when I walk on stage. I'll often say it before I walk into a room or, you know, Eddie, what can I do to change someone's life or what can I do to make it better for them today? Sometimes that's just my goal. I might walk into a coffee shop and say to myself, what can I do to the person behind the counter today that would make this a better day for them? And just, and I get as much of a rush from that than the person that's behind the counter, and that's kind of the neat thing about it. Very cool, mate. Now, let's, let's go back to San Diego. You are off to the stage. You are going through in your mind and saying, Eddie, let's change your life today. And then the imposter syndrome turns up on the other shoulder. 
And as we all have, it's that voice that's saying, you probably don't deserve to be here and these guys may not dig your Canadian message. As a corporate speaker standing in front of crowds regularly, almost weekly, how do you handle that voice of doubt, Eddie? How do you handle your own imposter syndrome? As the years have gone by, um, it it uh, it has gone away. I, I've stood in front of enough audiences now and enough different uh, cultural backgrounds and educational backgrounds and different levels that I'm very, very comfortable that everyone identifies with a similar message. So, but I, I do remember a time and anyone that's, you know, starting their career as a speaker, I remember a time, uh, and it was many years ago that I stood in front of a small group, maybe 20 people. And it's when I decided that I was going to make my living as a speaker. And I started to have the self-talk in my mind. And as in my in my head, I'm thinking, well, they're, they're not going to be interested in what you're saying. And and my tongue started to swell in my mouth, and I couldn't speak anymore. So I looked at the group that was there, and I and I said, no, we're going to take a break because I couldn't <laughs> I, I, I couldn't articulate the words and uh, and I'm thinking I'm just going to bolt for the door and I'll be done with this and I'll just. And but what happened was some people came up to me and they said, Eddie, you know what you're saying? What you're saying is right on. I never thought about that before, and and I've got myself caught in those same traps. And then I was able to get back in front of that group and kind of make it through it. But I, I you know, I think it's like uh, the outliner effect. The, the more time you spend doing something, the more comfortable you get with it. The the less doubt that you'll have. And and I, I you know, I. Maybe it is the 10,000 hours, and I have given thousands of presentations now, so I'm quite comfortable with it. But I, I still get it. Like even when we were in San Diego, I, I always look at the audience go, am I going to connect with that audience? But once I get in front of them, it, it, that goes away, which I'm quite grateful for. So what, what's, what's your view on the psychology behind success, Eddie? That's, that's kind of your drawing people. I, I love the fact you've got your own mission, and I love the fact that you – you live it, you breathe it, you keep it front of mind. Do you find there is an actual psychology that sits behind success and or successful people? Oh, absolutely. I think there's, a, there's an approach that people make to success. And if in any area of your life where you're successful, you have a, a certain set of things that you do. So, you know, if you're successful at your health, then you 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 have a vision for what your a healthy you looks like, and you you leverage your strengths in that area of your life, whether it's walking or running or going to the gym or biking or swimming or, and you eat the right foods. You do all those things to move toward that level of success. And if you look at the areas of your life where you're not successful, you're actually not doing the same things. So so there is definitely a psychology behind being successful and it can be applied in any area of your life. But here's what's really neat about it. Because all of us are successful at something, whether it's our marriage, our friendship, our work, hitting our sales numbers, we could take that skill and move that into an area of your life where we're not happy with the results that we're getting. And it's really as easy as changing the way you think. If you change the way you think in the areas that you struggle in, you can actually start to, to get the same result as, as the areas where you're successful. What you won't get good at is you'll never get good at doing things that are a weakness. 
But you can still achieve your goals by leveraging strengths in those areas. You talk and write about developing focus, and it seems to be a challenge for a lot of business. It seems to be a challenge for a lot of busy corporate leaders today. What's your view on developing true laser beam focus, Eddie? Because we've heard it said that Cal Newport, who wrote Deep Work, quoted as saying that I, the focus is the new IQ of the future. What, did, what, what are your tips for helping somebody develop that focus? Well, I, I think it's essential for success. And, and there are some of your listeners out there right now that, you know, maybe are young entrepreneurs or they're, or they're, they're running and they're struggling. And you're torn. In one sense, you're trying to focus your attention on bringing revenue into your organization and new customers and delivering products and services. And on the other, you're, you're worried about you know, paying your bills and paying your payroll and all of those things. The, the problem is we have to really start to focus our attention on the things that are going to make the difference, like the revenue, the customers, and, and so on. And I say this with speakers all the time because people always approach me and say, Eddie, what do I need to do to become successful? And it's like being a great singer. You could be a great singer and never leave your kitchen. But to be a, you know, good at anything, you, at the end of the day, you always have to ask yourself, did I do anything today that's making a difference? And, and it really comes down to where am I focusing my attention every day? And you'll see it with people who succeed, and you'll see it with people that fail. If you lose your focus, you'll fail. If you, if you can keep your focus lasered on the things that really are making a difference and moving you in the right direction, that's when you'll succeed. So if I buy into it and go, I can see the necessity, is there a tip you would give to people to help them get better at it? There's a little thing that I do. And so I, I create a dream sheet. So a dream sheet is like a bucket list. And there's some magic that happens when we write something down. The brain has a function called RAS, and that's kind of the Google search engine of the brain. So if you write something down and you look at it every day for 25, 30 days, it actually gets impregnated into your unconscious. You've, everyone has experienced this, where maybe you decide you're going to buy a new car, and you, you pick, maybe it's a Honda Civic, and when you head outside today, you'll notice every Honda Civic on the road. Well, what you're doing is, even when you're not paying attention, your brain is now starting to focus on your goal. So the first thing I get people to do every time I sit down with them is to write a list of the things that they want to change in their life or the areas that they want to set some goals. And then the other thing is to match those thoughts or goals with a set of emotions. So, you know, people say to me, Eddie, are you positive all the time? And the answer is no. I don't think anybody, being positive is a wonderful attribute, but I don't think anyone can be positive all the time. But here's what I've learned. There is absolutely no value in being negative or being stressed or being fearful. When we get in those funks in our life, what happens is we start to push our success away. So what I do with myself is one time I might have gotten down for a week and then it became a day. And now if I have, you know, if I lose a deal or something goes really wrong, I'll give myself a couple hours. I'll say, Eddie, wallow for two or three hours and you got to pull your socks up and get back at it again. So I'm always trying to match my, my thoughts, my goals with my emotions. And, and that, if you can master that, magic will happen in your life. Uh, just a final question before we let you get back to your day, Eddie. Is, is, with your travels of being in front of corporate leaders and corporate teams and successful business leaders, uh, 
what's the biggest trend that you're seeing right now, good or bad, that the trend that is something you're observing you think we should be paying attention to? Yes, well, actually both. Um, one of the things that I've just and, – and it's really interesting because I have stood in front of thousands and thousands of people over the last – you know, I've been doing this probably full-time for about 15 years. And I'm still amazed at how many terrible managers there are and how many terrible leaders that are out there that are undermining the success of their own organizations. But then on the other side, there are some absolutely wonderful leaders out there. And I think the key to being a great leader right now is not – definitely not being someone's boss. It's really being that coordinator or, or the, the conductor in the orchestra that can find all of the instruments in your organization and make them play that beautiful music together. So leveraging the strengths of every individual and aligning that with the goals. And I think one of the keys to a good leader is that they really share with everyone in the organization, what that goal is. So when people go to work every day, they know that what they're using their hands and minds for every day aligns with the goal that we're trying to achieve. And I, and I think that's where the true magic happens in an organization. Eddie, it's been, uh, it's been a real pleasure catching up with you again. I enjoyed meeting you in San Diego and uh, we got on very well there. And I, I love the way you take, you take these topics you make them simple, you deliver them with such passion. And uh, it's a real joy spending time and chatting with you, mate. People who want to learn more about Eddie, uh, where do you send people to? Well, you can go right to my website. So it's eddielemoyne.com, E-D-D-I-E-L-E-M-O-I-N-E.com. And uh, you can reach me through there. There's tons of, or just Google me and you'll find uh, uh, tons of um, uh, Google searches out there. And Gary, I have to say it was an absolute pleasure meeting you in San Diego as well. I, I uh, truly enjoyed watching your presentation and, uh, and I, I enjoyed watching you pace back and forth behind the screen before you went on stage. <laughs> Do you know what? I think you learned that from an old program director of ours back in our radio <laughs> yes. days. I can picture someone who his name I won't mention, Mr. Bert Whistle. <laughs> well, the sad thing was that when I finished my gig, I basically, as Marcus did, we both walked off stage and got into cars and they shipped us straight back to where we came from. So Marcus <laughs> went back to the UK. and they I got to stay a few more days, so I truly got to enjoy San Diego. But for you, it wasn't a break for the weather, but for me, it was truly a break from the weather, that's for sure. And I got to say to any of our listeners who are in the States around San Diego, it's just the most beautiful city. I mean, I don't know, Eddie, you, you spend a lot more time there than I did. I only got a bit of a walk on the boardwalk that morning before we did our gig in the afternoon, but uh, we were right opposite the big naval vessel, the, the aircraft carrier and the tourists and, and the water there. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. Oh, it is. And I rented a car and drove up the coast to Newport Beach. It was. It's just, it's a gorgeous part of the country for sure. They've got a great zoo in San Diego. San Diego Zoo is amazing. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't see the zoo. I didn't see much of it at all except the hotel, a little bit of the boardwalk. I had a Starbucks coffee. <laughs> I, I went to the zoo and I didn't think they were going to let me out. <laughs> all these alarms were going off and, you know, someone stop that gorilla. <laughs> well, when you're walking around a pair of budgie smugglers, you know, that's, that's right. probably not. <laughs> but the weather, the people, very hospitable. Thank you to San Diego for having us. Eddie, it's been a real treat catching up again, mate. I really, really enjoyed speaking with you today. And uh, I wish you great success, mate. Great. Thank, thanks so much. And let's keep in touch. We interrupt this program to bring you a special bulletin. <laughs> the Mojo Radio Show. Right. Ladies and gentlemen. 
So, Robbo, you remember not that many weeks ago, we had an incredible guy on the, and one, I I have to say, he's probably a guy that had an enormous impact on you and I, a guy called Joe DeSena. Do you recall? How could I forget Joe DeSena? That name will be etched in my memory for the rest of my life. (laughs) If not, he'll be there to drop a kettlebell on you. Absolutely. So uh, for those people, the reason I bring it up, for those people who don't know, Joe DeSena is an incredible individual who started a worldwide brand called Spartan. And Robbo and I were talking before we started to record here in the studio, there is a brand new show on television here in Australia called Australian Spartan. So his brand has gone from obstacle races all over the world it's now being a global television show. And I just said, I just thought to Robbo that we should, number one, remind people of how good Joe DeSena was on the show because he was insane. Number two, uh, remind people to go back. If, you, if you're new to the show and you haven't heard Joe on the Mojo Radio Show, episode 149, I'll put a link to his show in the show notes. But before we go any further, Joe was incredible. What, what do you remember of Joe? Uh, I remember a lot of Joe. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you the main thing I remember and also how I use it. Um, I remember distinctly him talking about carrying dumbbells around, getting in and out of cabs with dumbbells through the airport and how I've actually used that. We were talking about um, the kids and footy at the beginning of the show. I've started a new thing this year where every opportunity for them to get some fitness, I've started pushing that. So now, for example, if I send them to the sheds to get tackle bags, which weigh about 10 or 15 kilos each, I say, I want six, I send three guys, but they're not allowed to walk back with them. They've got to run. So they've got to drag like 20 kilos behind them and run from one end of the field to the other because it's just another opportunity to exercise. So yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly my memory and that's obviously how I've executed it. Well, let's play the story to put people in the picture. Joe carried a kettlebell with him 24-7, even slept with it for a whole year. Mm. Here's Joe telling that story. I asked my wife to um, get me a kettlebell when we moved to Japan. And so she called, You well, she went online and went on Amazon, which I never, never really used. And it was amazing. A kettlebell showed up the next day or maybe the same day. And I had, Asked her to get a 20-pounder because I wanted to carry it everywhere. And um, it ended up coming 20 kgs, which did the math. It was 45 pounds. And so um, me being who I am, I had no choice, but that became my my pal. And so I started carrying this thing everywhere to business meetings, uh, on and off the airplanes, cars, dinner, go to bed with it. I mean, this thing was just with me for the last year um, in and out of Japan. And the idea was a few things. One, selfishly, um, it would turn every moment into a workout, right? You get out of a taxi cab, you lift this 45-pound thing up. It's just a pain in the ass. And then, um, and so that was, that was an awesome benefit. And then the other thing it would do, which is really a question you're asking, it would change my frame of reference, right? It would be so brutal when you find out you're at the wrong terminal at an airport. You've got to walk two miles to another <laughs> terminal at the thing. Or, or whatever, the taxi cab drops you up to the wrong place or it turns out it's a much longer staircase than you thought. And, um, and you're like, well, um, it could, you know, when you put the kettlebell down, you're like, it's like being at Disneyland, right? You just appreciate what that moment. And so um, a lot of people, I think, strive to get more stuff and more, just more, right? They want something else to be happy. And I, I just simply reversed it. 
and said, no, what I'll do is I'll pile a bunch of stuff, you know, tough stuff on, right? Run out in the rain, carry the kettlebell, uh, take cold showers, do 300 burpees in the morning. And, and then when I eliminate that pain, man, you appreciate that moment. So, um, so I just did the reverse and it's a lot cheaper. Now here's the Mojo Radio Show listeners challenge to you. Mm. If you're going to get the boys to get tackle bags out of the sheds and drag mm. them along, mm. I think that the Mojo Radio Show listeners should challenge you that wherever you're at training, you should be carrying a 20 kilo kettlebell. Oh, that's right. Boom. I always exercise with Boom. the boys. Yeah, I, I don't expect. No, no, you yeah. didn't hear what I said. Carry it with you and don't put it down for the whole training session. <laughs> what if what if we're doing passing practice? I've got to pass a 20 kilo dumbbell. Is that how it works? Get some. Game Ricky knows his game. <laughs> All right. I'll have to use Jack as my target because I don't think I could hurt anybody else's kid. <laughs> so for those who aren't familiar with Spartan, it's on television shortly here in Australia. It's called Australian Spartan. But he's, he's, I asked Joe DeSena, what is Spartan? Because Spartan is a brand. It's a worldwide brand, but it's also a way. It's a way of life. It's a code. It's a mantra. And here's what Joe said about the Spartan code. You know, you stop complaining about the silly thing. You are willing to go out in the cold, out in the rain, carry your groceries a little further than you normally would, take the stairs instead of the elevator. Big deal uh, if the shower is not hot, jump in a cold shower. It's, it's this concept of changing your frame of reference. You know, I was with a bunch of military veterans this weekend at West Point, which is a military college in the United States. And we had a race, we had 8,300 people there. And amongst them were a bunch of veterans that had, you know, missing limbs, um, paralyzed in wheelchairs. And I spent uh, the better part of the day with them. And it really opens your eyes to this idea of, what do I have to complain about? Are you kidding me? We have the, you know, it's just, we have everything we want. And um, the story actually gets funny. This guy, Noah, who runs a group called Oscar Mike, um, he had, I don't know, a dozen or so of these adaptive athletes, uh, military veterans doing the race with him, missing some limbs and wheelchairs and stuff. And I said to him, it's a great cause. It's a great mission you've got. Do you have a tattoo of your um, foundation, Oscar Mike? And he said, no. He said, Joe, do you have a tattoo of your company, Spartan? And I said, no. And so we both went to a tattoo parlor and we got tattoos of each other's mission. So he's got a Spartan tattoo on him and I've got Oscar Mike on my cap. My wife hasn't seen it yet. But, um, but my wife, my wife on the phone said, what are you doing? Are you crazy? And I said, you know, it's no big deal. These guys, these guys are in wheelchairs. They're missing art. Like I'll happily throw their tattoo on my leg to um, motivate myself and others around me. Big show. Huge show. I'm going to finish with something which is a Mojo Radio Show Rewind. A rewind? I thought Dr. Meg J, who was on just last week, was Fantastic. I just loved the interview. I loved talking with her, her spirit, her content. And something which really resonated with me was the question she said, what sort of life are you willing to fight for? Don't you reckon that's just a great question? Yeah, absolutely. An important one, that's for sure. And if we think back through a thread we've had on the show, it's fair to say that grit resilience has been part of our MO for the show. And the thing I like about that 
question is, what do you decide? What do you want from your life? Or what are you willing to fight for? And mm. let's face it, life's tough. You got to fight for the voices of the imposter syndrome. You got to fight the voices of naysayers around you, the hardships that are thrown at you. You got to fight status quo in some cases. And for a lot of us, fighting discomfort is the way to true happiness. It's the highway to to happiness. You got to build real backbone, right? And the mental resilience and grit to do that means that you got to fight for something. And I. I would challenge all of us to sit down and say, what, what do you want that's worth fighting for? What do you want that's bad enough for you to put the time in, the effort in, the hardship in, the blood, the sweat, and the tears? What is it that you're willing to fight for? And it's a good question for a young kids playing in a footy team. It's a good question to ask people in a social group. But don't give in to the resistance, which is something Stephen Pressfield talked about in The War of Art. The resistance is that imposter syndrome that stops you, it gets in your way, make excuses. You got to fight through that. And I, I really like the way that Meg framed that. So I thought that we would close with one of your favorite bands, The Fooies. Can you go past The Fooies? Not really. So this is The Foo Fighters, The Best of You. We're out. I've got another confession to
Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time. <laughs>